Welcome back to another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you. Get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at Jay Goldberg 12. It is the post-mortem edition of the DFA pod as we pick away at the corpse known as the 2022 Toronto Blue Jays, a team that uh, went up in flames in that horrendous game to collapse against the Seattle Mariners in the wild card round. We will touch on it a little bit, Josh, about that game. You know, I was really considering how much I wanted to actually talk about it because uh, I think for a lot of the fans out there listening to this podcast, the last thing that they want to do is, you know, really take a, a big deep think about how shitty they felt after that game. I'm sure a lot of people enjoying their uh, Thanksgiving dinner that day as well, probably uh, throwing it up at approximately uh, 8.30 in the evening after uh, watching that epic collapse by the Blue Jays. But we will touch on it a little bit because we have to. How can you not when uh, the Blue Jays suffer one of the worst defeats in their team history? Where were you watching all this uh, drama unfold? And what was your immediate reaction once it was all said and done? Well, I was uh, with my brother actually watching it um, unfold. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I honestly wasn't even really sure how to process anything in my brain. It was just numb. Numb is really all of that you could say uh, about it. I, I will admit when Carlos Santana hit that home run, uh, I did not have a good feeling. It wasn't like, Oh, well, you know, this is still a big lead. There was a part of me that was like, Jesus Christ, this, this thing might, might be happening here because it was just one of those things that, you know, you did have some control over it. You didn't need to go to Tim Mesa in that situation. It's just like, you know, you make those kinds of missteps in the playoffs and sometimes it can be a domino effect chain reaction type situation. And obviously, you know, we weren't expecting to the degree that everything happened with the Springer Bichette collision leading to three runs scoring. And I told you, Adam Frazier was going to burn the Jays in that series. And he fucking killed them uh, in, in that second game. He had three hits. He drove in the winning run. I also said Carlos Santana was going to be an X factor and he hit a home run, Wish I was wrong. I was wrong a lot this year, but unfortunately uh, I got those correct. And, you know, I've been struggling how to put into perspective everything that happened and how it relates to was the season a failure? Was it a success? I don't think it's either. I don't, I wouldn't call it a, a colossal failure, but I wouldn't call it a success either. Um, and they're in an odd spot right now where, you know, they're good enough, I think, to to compete for a playoff spot and contend for the division. But how much of it is, well, it's the playoffs are random and stupid. And how much do you factor that in? Well, like that is true to an extent. Look what happened to the Mets. But you know, even the Dodgers, they don't b- b- blow out in the first round every year and get swept and you know, they may not win the World Series, but they're consistently in the championship series or in the World Series. And the Jays have to figure out how to, you know, be better in these situations and avoid having these things happen where they fail to win a playoff game. And the, the majority of this core now and say what you will about 2020, they're still 0-4 in the playoffs uh, as, as a group. So, of course, the two playoff games doesn't mean everything. Um, and it doesn't mean nothing, right? Like there is a larger sample size where the Blue Jays won 92 games. And if you said what, you know, actually has a, you know, bigger meaning as to how good this team is, is it 162 games that they played or is it two random games against the Mariners where a lot of dumb shit happened, especially in game number two, you know, I'm sure there are fans out there that, you know, 
put a lot of weight in those two games. And I think it's what's unfortunate for the Blue Jays and, you know, how they kind of view things is um, all of the flaws that, you know, people talked about during the regular season. And even after the trade deadline just came to a head in that one singular game, which is like kind of hilarious and a microcosm of the uh, entire Blue Jays season where there were inconsistencies, the the bullpen, uh, obviously the swing and miss, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about here uh, in this podcast. And, you know, the offense was good in that game. They scored nine runs and uh, Teoscar Hernandez did uh, a large part of that damage. But uh, at the end of the day, you didn't win the game. And uh, the Blue Jays are out in like 28 hours of playoff baseball. Uh, That's how quickly the season ended for them. So let's uh, start shifting our way towards the offseason now and got to start with John Schneider, who obviously did a great job uh, taking over for Charlie Montoyo. I think it was uh, 46 or 48 wins uh, in those 74 games that he had taking over for Montoyo. And I think a lot of people were on board with John Schneider. Heck, I remember seeing signs of people saying like John Schneider for manager like two seasons ago or like last season. (laughs) Like that's how long people have wanted this guy to be the manager. And here he is. And I think for the most part, he's done a great job. But he left a lot of people with a sour taste in their mouth because everything just went completely pear-shaped in that game. You mentioned the Tim Meza, you know, insertion into that ball game. Um, You know, could he have left, uh, you know, Jimmy Garcia in for a second inning? You know, why is Jackie Bradley Jr., who is only on this team for defensive reasons, not playing in the outfield when you're up and when it counts? So a lot of different, you know, decisions that uh, didn't work out for John Schneider in that game. Uh, but I'm obviously not going to put all of the blame on him. I mean, Tim Beza has to make pitches. Um, Anthony Bass has to make pitches. Jordan Romano has to, you know, make pitches in order for this team to uh, win a ball game. It's not John Schneider out there, you know, trying to strike out Adam Frazier or trying to, you know, strike out JP Crawford. Um, but, you know, I think, like I said, there are some people wondering, you know, maybe he's not uh, the savior that everyone has maybe initially made him out to be. I still think he's the guy, you know, Ross Atkins said in his postseason availability that it would be hard for them to find someone better than John Schneider did leave the door open a little bit, you know, obviously has to blue Jays are going to do their due diligence and uh, they're going to obviously look at all the options on the table, but I think we would all be pretty surprised if John Schneider was not the manager of this team moving forward. Yeah, I, I understand. There was some boy where the takes were flying fast and furious after they lost that Schneider's got to go and Schneider's a moron. And, you know, he didn't have a good performance there in game two. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I thought he shit the bed a little bit. And, you know, part of that is, well, the pitchers got to do their jobs. Anthony Bass getting zero outs. Who saw that coming? You know, I say what you want. That was not on anyone's bingo card. And, you know, there were some some egregious, I thought, mistakes, but I, like, I'm not going to just throw the, out what he did beforehand. And I, I do think that, you know, there's an element he holds guys accountable. There's a connection with the group. Maybe some people might say, oh, well, they need somebody to come in and kick their ass a little bit. And people are going to be like, oh, well, hire Bruce Bochy. He won all those World Series with the Giants. Look what happened with Tony Larusa in the White Sox. I know that that uh, Bruce Bochy has a more recent track record of success at the big league level than Tony Larusa, but you know sometimes guys who retire or leave after a long run of success and try and come back a couple years later, sometimes it just doesn't work. You're trying to channel some magic of yesteryear that doesn't always go. So I'm not 
you know, I'm not a Bruce Bochy advocate here. I, I think Schneider deserves a, a shot. You know, you have to be better in big spots than he was in the postseason. But I think that there's enough of a body of work in the regular season. I'm not saying hand him a five-year deal or something like that. I don't think he's going to get a super long leash and a ton of security. But I do think that he deserves at least the opportunity to have a full offseason, a full spring training, and start from the get-go on opening day as opposed to just being, I know he has been here, but he just has to take over in turmoil. And he did a really nice job steadying the ship and getting them into the postseason. So I think that is enough to outweigh what was a, not a particularly strong performance from him in the postseason. And again, it was 74 games of a sample size where he won 46 of them. And you're going to look at these two games and say, or even the one game, right? Because game one, that's not his fault. Luis Castillo pitched the game of his life. And what is John Schneider supposed to do uh, in that spot? So I can understand having issues with game number two. But like I said, the, there was a larger sample size of seeing what this guy can do. And there is something to be said about continuity. Um, you know, do you really want to bring in another manager? And like I said, Tony Larusa or a Joe Madden or someone, you bring in someone that's more established, quote unquote, more established and it doesn't work out then what do you do i mean do you just yeah. blow up the manager again uh yeah. no you can't right you got to ride it out again um so it just seems like john schneider is not only the the safe play but i think it's the right play uh because he's obviously you know built a rapport with a lot of these guys i know matt chapman had a lot of glowing things to say about him uh, at the end of the season so it's pretty clear that uh these guys want him back and you know, hopefully the, the front office does feel the same way, but it does seem like only a matter of time before that gets uh, figured out. And John Schneider will have the interim tag taken off of him and uh, he will be the manager moving forward. Let's get into the uh, personnel and got to begin with the bullpen because I think that's where a lot of people's minds were after that uh, game two collapse. And the bullpen has been an area of concern for this team for many years now. It's not uh, just this season. They definitely had some high points this year following the addition of Anthony Bass and Zach Pop, Jordan Romano was incredible this year. Jimmy Garcia was solid. Tim Meza had moments, you know, guys had moments, David Phelps, Adam Simber. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, a bullpen that is not built like the Seattle Mariners or, you know, built like the Astros or the Dodgers or some of these teams that obviously have uh, progressed in the postseason. The interesting part about this pen, though, Josh, is that a lot of these guys are coming back. They are under contract. I mean, pretty much everyone, right? Like David Phelps is the only guy that uh, is set to be a free agent. So, um, you know, whether it's Bass, Garcia, Romano, of course, you know, Simber, the list goes on and on and on. Trevor Richards, like these guys are under control. These guys are going to be back. Uh, you still got Nate Pearson uh, potentially waiting in the wings. Uh, Julian Merriweather, who I know people don't want to hear about, you know, Yozer Zulueta, you know, Adrian Hernandez down in the minors like they've got a lot of relievers that can step in um, now sure maybe they're not elite guys but the thing is you know if you're bringing in I'm just going to throw a name out there a David Robertson or Edwin Diaz if you want to shoot for the moon um, like you got to make room for these guys so you know uh, do the Blue Jays do that uh, coming up here with like a non-tender of a Trevor Richards or you know some of these guys to, to make room on the roster because right now it's, you know, there's not a ton of uh, open chairs at the moment. Yeah, I think that there's going to be some some non-tender situations, some, some candidates, if you're looking at uh, adding. 
um, in the bullpen. I, I think, you know, is there a chance David Phelps retires? I think possibly it seemed like he was quite emotional uh, after afterwards had a really serious lat injury came back possible either way, even if he, he does um, decide to come back, I think you can aim a little bit. Not that he wasn't a successful reclamation project. He had a nice season and, and not a lot of people were expecting that, but I think you can aim for a little bit more upside than he brings. You know, that's a roster spot. Like is Julian Merriweather going to be on this on this club next year? I don't know how you can realistically count on that. I do think Trevor Richards is a non-tender candidate. You know, if, if you want to clear up a roster spot, I, I know his strikeout rate improved over the year, but I just look at him as not somebody that I'm married to having in the bullpen and it just it has to get better and we've talked all season long about how it needs more strikeouts it needs more strikeouts and it does and we knew that going in we talked during the preview podcast last week that you know seattle had a big edge in the bullpen and the jays in game two got to paul seawald big time he was unraveled you know he was not very good the seattle mariners bullpen was good enough at other times, you know, they brought George Kirby in to close it out and the Blue Jays bullpen wasn't good enough in the big spot that they needed it to be. Uh, and they weren't getting those strikeouts. And we talked about how you needed that. And it's harder to rack up strikeouts in the postseason for whatever reason. Uh, it just seems like hitters just uh, have more tenacity. I don't know how or why, but it just seems like they're harder to rack up at the same clip as they were in the regular season. But, you know, it was a pedestrian bullpen in that regard all season long. And to expect that all of a sudden they were going to be able to get enough of those easier outs in high leverage spots, which the playoffs there, it's all high leverage, regardless of what the stats say, every out is important. And, you know, I didn't have any level of confidence that that was going to end up being the case. And it wasn't. And, you know, it's it's never easy to just build a bullpen on the fly. Like you sign Edwin Diaz. Great. It's not some guarantee that he's going to be as dominant as he was this year. Next year. The, the thing is finding some gems internally and the Jays just for whatever reason have a really difficult time doing that. And there's enough of a track record here to say it's a real problem. And why would we just assume that all of a sudden next year, they're just going to unearth a couple of gems who are going to come in and, and make an impact. Maybe they do, but there's not a lot that I look at in the system. They're better in a, in a starting pitching regard that sense, but even further down the minor league system, there's not many guys who are percolating, bubbling over that you're like, Oh, well, this guy's going to come in and, and make a huge impact next year uh, for this bullpen. It's again, it's a tough position to be in and they got to figure it out uh, pronto because uh, they're at risk of having the same thing happen next year. And the problem too, with, you know, guys like Julian Merriweather and uh, Nate Pearson, who, you know, have an ability uh, we've seen it before to, you know, strike guys out at the major league level because of their health concerns, you can't, you know, promise them a spot or, you know, guarantee them a spot on the major league roster. You're kind of in a position where those guys are deaf. And if you get anything from them, great, but don't plan to have them at the major league roster next year. Like you have to improve your pen somehow. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the blue Jays go about it. Cause I think, you know, Ross Atkins and his post season, you know, presser did acknowledge that, you know, the bullpen is an area they want to improve in. they want to improve all over the place, of course, but you know, are they going to go out and spend big money because they haven't 
done it for that position. I mean, Jim Garcia uh, making, you know, four and a half million dollars uh, this year and five and a half next year. Uh, like that's one of the bigger free agent contracts they've handed out yeah. to a reliever. We remember all the Liam Hendricks conversation that obviously didn't happen. The Blue Jays did pursue him, um, but, you know, they just have not uh, allocated enough money to that position. But do they go out and make a trade? And if so, you know, I've seen some ludicrous trade proposals out there. People talking about, you know, giving up a Gabriel Moreno or an Alejandro Kirk for like an elite reliever. No, that's not that's what you not do. That's no. the dumbest thing possible. You do yeah. not give up everyday catchers for guys that are going to throw between, you know, 60 and 70 innings a season uh, during the regular season. Um, and with the volatility, it's just dumb uh, to do that. So no. So I, you know, how are they going to go about it? I think that's one of the more intriguing things uh, of this offseason for me is that they know they have to do it, but what are they willing to give up in a trade to do it? Or are they going to spend some money? Uh, because, you know, elite relievers with strikeouts are popular. They are always, um, you know, sought after on the free agent market and in the trade market. So, you know, it's not going to be easy, I think. And worst case scenario, they come back with this bullpen, it's not the worst thing ever because it is a bullpen that features a lot of, you know, major league pitchers and guys that can get outs. I mean, they were really good in the second half at times. Um, but, you know, is that something that they maybe address in season, uh, which mm-hmm. doesn't make you feel great either? Because as we saw at the start of this season, the bullpen needed to be better in the first half. And, you know, the Blue Jays had some moments where they, you know, probably could have used some better bullpen arms to win some games. And you don't want to put yourself in that position again, where you have to wait until August to, to try to make some additions for your pen. Um, but, you know, it just might be a situation. And I know people don't want to hear this where, you know, a lot of these guys come back, they run it back, if you will. And, you know, they try to make an Anthony Bass, Zach pop trade at the deadline. If they, you know, need some more help. Well, I'm just looking at the available free agent relievers as it projects right now. And Edwin Diaz might get a hundred million dollars. There is to me, no realistic scenario in my mind where the Jays are signing Edwin Diaz for 90 or a hundred million dollars. It's just not, it's not in their MO. They're not going to do it. So that's a pipe dream, you know, like Kenley Jansen. Sure. He had a good year, but there's some risk there. You know, there's not a lot. You know, Zach Eflin's emerged as a good reliever this year. Taylor Rogers had tons of issues in San Diego. You mentioned David Robertson. I do think Rafael Montero is an interesting possibility. He was awful last year, but was excellent this year for the Astros. There's risk. And, you know, you pay a guy like that eight to $10 million. There's definitely a zero, a non-zero chance that it doesn't work out. There's always risk in bullpen relief free agent contracts you know that that is always something uh that can emerge but you know you got to take those risks sometimes you know that's just an, an inherent thing when it comes to building a bullpen and like i said if you don't have those fireball arms out of your own system that can emerge then you're left trying to make you know heady deals or bet on the right free agents and it doesn't always go according to script. So the Jays, I think are always going to be at somewhat of a disadvantage if they're always looking externally for bullpen augmentation, as opposed to internally. Okay. Let's shift to the starting rotation where Ross Stripling is the one key free agent, of course, and 
you know, I'm sort of on the fence here. I have been for pretty much the entire season as to what you do with Ross Stripling. At one point, I thought maybe you do give him the qualifying offer. And now that, you know, people are starting to put out their projections for, you know, arbitration raises and some, you know, money that uh, the guys, some of these guys are going to get, uh, you know, increase next year, it makes it look a little bit more challenging uh, to be able to fit in a guy like Ross Stripling. And, you know, at the age of 33, is he a guy that you want to, you know, invest uh, several years? and a lot of money into, especially when you've got Hunjin Ryu on the books and you've got Yusei Kikuchi's money on the books. Now, granted, that Kikuchi money does uh, you know, drop down a little bit next year, goes from $16 million this past season to $10 million next year and uh, $10 million after that, but he's a guy they're going to give an opportunity to. I know Mitch White did not exactly blow the doors off anyone, but uh, you know he's probably going to be someone that's competing for a spot uh, in this rotation. They clearly need to add some more arms because they don't have enough depth down um, at AAA. If Mitch White can be your AAA depth, I think, you know, you feel a lot better about that than, you know, maybe a Thomas Hatch or some of these guys that uh, people don't want to hear about anymore. But, you know, we'll begin with Ross Stripling. Now that uh, we're at the end of the season, do you feel any different? Do you want Ross back? Do you think he's gone? Is there some sort of compromise? Where do you land on it? I think he's gone. And uh, I would take him back at the right number, but... I've been saying this, you know, maybe there is, it is sustainable what he did, but this is a career year for a pitcher who's going to be 33 years old. And uh, I don't generally love betting on, on a career year and investing on a career year. And um, it's just not something that I'm comfortable doing. I, I see him ending up as a Texas Ranger. He's from the area. They need starting pitching. They have money to spend. That seems like the type of situation where he could end up getting, you know, maybe he gets a four-year deal. And if he does a muzzle tov to him, that'd be great. But I'm not, I'm not going to that point. And Ross Atkins, I, I don't know if it was a Freudian slip during his end of season. He kind of talked about stripling spot in the rotation in sort of a past tense where it seemed as though it was more, well, we're going to have to fill that somehow. And he didn't really, I don't know if it was just a slip of the tongue type situation, but I just don't see it. And I would be surprised if they went to a qualifying offer because there is a chance that he accepts it. And maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. If you have him on a $19 million one year contract, but I, I just think that, you know, you offer it to him. It, I'm really torn on it. It just doesn't strike me um, as being their, uh, you know, their MO. And correct me if I'm mistaken, they didn't offer Steven Matz uh, yeah. a qualifying offer last year. And he was a little bit younger, you know, injury concerns, certainly not as good of a year, but a solid season nonetheless for a left-handed starting pitcher in the AL East. I just reading the tea leaves, it doesn't seem like their kind of uh, usual agenda to go to the qualifying offer, but maybe I'll be surprised by it. But uh, I would be very surprised either way if he's back pitching for this club next year. Uh, there's only two ways this is going to go, right? You know, Ross Stripling either resigns with the Blue Jays and, you know, people are happy and then we'll see what happens with his year or he uh, goes and then either is really good or really bad. And then people get to say, oh, I told you so. Like, 
Blue Jays really dodged a bullet there, not signing Ross Stripling, or oh my God, how could you not have signed Ross Stripling to, yeah. you know, four years and $65 million? Like this guy's so solid. The Blue Jays, Ross Atkins, these Dumbos, like they did it again. They, you know, let this guy slip from their fingers when they had him and he wanted to come back and blah, 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 blah. So it's, uh, yeah, going to be fun conversation, I'm sure, uh, with Ross Stripling. Interesting that we're not having that same conversation about Robbie Ray anymore. I think everybody, He's yeah. been sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense why uh, uh, Kevin Gossman was the better investment here because uh, Robbie Ray is homer prone and tends to give up a, a lot of bombs in the postseason. Uh, but I digress. The uh, rest of the rotation, of course, um, you know, Gossman, Manoa, they're locked in. Same with Jose Barrios, for better or for worse. He's not going anywhere, but uh, it's pretty clear that they do need a couple of arms uh, in this rotation to at least uh, help supplement uh, in case things go awry, uh, injury or what happens. Have you just a quick thought as well without with regards to Alec Manoa and it can be a larger conversation about you know Bowen Vladdy uh it did seem like Ross Atkins you know was open saying that you know they have obviously discussed long-term deals and they've thought a lot about that and why haven't they why wouldn't they when it comes to the core of this team the young core uh, obviously during the season there was a lot of discussion about you know Vladdy and Bo and how they're inching closer to free agency does it make sense for them personally to to lock up uh, long term and then of course recently there was the Spencer Strider contract that was signed by Alex Anthopoulos and the Braves and people wondering you know is that a comp for Alec Manoa to potentially get him uh, locked up long term would you be surprised uh, if the Blue Jays did something like this this offseason with any of these guys, or would you not be surprised at all if they just continued to to go the way things have been going right now and kind of riding things out with uh, a lot of these players, considering because their payroll is you know stretched uh, pretty far uh, where it stands right now? Yeah, I think that uh, that is a factor right now in terms of payroll commitments uh, going forward and how high is Rogers going to go because uh, they're going to have to go higher if they want to continue um, to really maximize the opportunity to win here. Cause guys are going to need to make more money. I would be disappointed if at least one of those guys isn't signed to a long-term deal. You know, I, I know that Vladdy's market is super interesting. You know, Jordan Alvarez signed that six year, $115 million uh, deal back in June or whatever it was. I think it only bought out a couple of free agent years, but you know, is that the type of comp in terms of yearly uh, annual average value that you're looking at? Jordan Alvarez is a better offensive player, I'm sorry to say, than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's a lefty, so you know maybe that factors in somewhat. But he's been a better offensive player in his career, so uh, and has become a pretty decent defensive left fielder. And you know, you talk about future at DH, Vladdy's future at DH. I do wonder if there is at least a parallel in terms of the the breakdown, if not the number of years. The Bo Bichette one. You know, it's either your shortstop long term, because if you don't think he's your shortstop long term, you're not making a deal because he wants to be paid long. If he's signing a long term deal and buying out free agent years, uh, he wants to be paid as a shortstop. And if you don't view him that way, well, he's not signing a deal. Right. Realistically, he's going to say, well, I'll just play it out. And, uh, you know, when I reach free agency, somebody's going to pay me in my you know latish 20s as a shortstop. We see it happen. Um, all the time. So uh, that one I'm more pessimistic on. Uh, Manoa, you got to get done at, at some point. You know, I, I think that the Strider one didn't buy out a ton of free agent years, but 
I think, you know, you risk the, you run the risk of alienating these guys. If you keep going year to year, you know, we remember Bichette and Manoa were both vocally not thrilled about their, you know, arbitrary number of at salary renewal before arbitration kicks in. And, you know, Manoa's still got some time before he's arbitration eligible. I understand why you would be pissed off if that you're just being judged based on a system as opposed to what you actually think your value is. So I think, you know, the longer that goes on, you know, arbitration hearings are always risky because you're trying to argue why the player is worth less than they think they are. And, you know, you can risk hurting some feelings and some raw emotions coming up. And I just think that it's better to lock in if you believe in the player for the long term you know, find the number that works for both sides and get it done. Yeah. I, look, when it comes to Vladdy and Bo, they have to have numbers, right? I'm sure they do in their minds. Their agents have talked to them, you know, before. Maybe the team has even talked to them before. You know, what would it take to get uh, X done? And I'm sure the Blue Jays have been in a spot where they're like, I don't know if we can get there uh, right now. And, you know, well, that's probably why we haven't seen either of these guys um, get locked up and maybe that conversation happens again this offseason and with Manoa as well um, but I'm with you I, I think I would be surprised if not uh, one of these guys gets locked up long term or we hear something about it I, I would think at least one of them gets done um, I think Bichette's probably the least likeliest yeah. um, just because of you know the shortstop market like you said uh, not that he wasn't you know great this year down the stretch obviously um just completely turned his season around the defensive strides depending on what metric you want to look at uh were not great this year uh but at the end of the day he's still you know a top 10 shortstop in all of major league baseball he's only about to turn 25 years old like he's an absolute stud uh, he's an absolute beast. So uh, you definitely could not go wrong signing him to a long-term deal. But uh, because of the payroll commitments, the uh, Blue Jays can only do so much, you would think, right now, unless they really want to blow the ceiling off of uh, their payroll and, uh, you know, really get into where the big dogs are at with, you know, teams obviously like the the Red Sox, the Yankees, and uh, the Dodgers. Let's talk about the uh, offense. And very much like the bullpen, a lot of these guys – are under uh, team control, under contract, set to return next season. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with George Springer, of course, who uh, is dealing with a bone spur. Thank God, because I was thinking, you know, there's a non-zero chance it's Tommy John. And if he's Tommy John, he's going to be out for a while. Um, so it's a bone spur. Maybe he'll uh, miss some time. Maybe he won't miss any time and he'll be ready for spring training. But uh, my goodness, George, please get yourself 100% because your body just went through absolute hell uh, this past season. And I feel so bad for him that it ends on a concussion and uh, a shoulder sprain, just like a horrific way to end the season. Uh, luckily, it wasn't uh, much, much worse because uh, it looks so bad on TV. I'm sure it looked really bad uh, in person at the game as well. Uh, but, you know, question marks in the outfield for me, I think, when you look at Teoscar Hernandez and uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., I think front and center, those are the two guys that people are wondering, are they with this team next season for Teoscar and Lourdes, both of them going into, you know, final years uh, of their deal. Uh, Lourdes is 29. Teoscar is 30 years old. You see a game like you do in game two of that series and you go, why would you not want to bring back a Teoscar Hernandez who has dynamite in his bat every time he steps up to the plate? You know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. turned his, you know, type of batted ball profile around this year and obviously has that plus arm in left field. But if you're looking at spots where you can upgrade and, you know, maybe change the, uh, you know, profile of your lineup, 
those are the two spots because George Springer's not going anywhere. Vladdy, Bo, Matt Chapman, they're not going anywhere. You know, second base, maybe you can bring in someone uh, a little bit different, but I liked what I saw from Whit Merrifield at the, at the end of the year. You know, Santiago Espinal, obviously a tough end of the season for him, but they obviously like him. He's going to be uh, in the mix. The catcher situation is where it's at. Uh, but yeah, with regards to the outfield, I think one of the, at least one of these guys has got to go. I mean, it's tough because they have a relationship with a lot of the core players on this team and you don't want to rock the boat too much. But I think uh, for me, uh, in order for this lineup to be more optimized, I I would like to see a little bit of a change. I think Ross Atkins made a good point that it's tough because all nine of these guys are at least the starting lineup. It's all major league talent. Like there's not one weak spot where you're like, yeah, this guy can't be in there uh, every single day. That's how deep the lineup is. But uh, for me and with the way I would like to see things constructed, I think uh, I need to see a little bit more versatility. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I think the issue is when it comes to trading one of Guriel or, or Teoscar is, how much value do those guys have? They're one year away from free agency. So you're not, are you getting a haul? I don't think so. I understand that both of those guys have value offensively. Neither is a particularly great defender or, you know, arguably even good. So what are you going to get? I, you know, there was the rumor before the lockout of Teoscar and being connected to the Marlins and, you know, a starting pitcher, maybe it was Pablo Lopez, maybe it was Eliezer Hernandez, who had a terrible year. So I don't know if that's something you would necessarily even want to revisit in any way, but I just don't know how much either of those guys alone are fetching in a deal. So do you package them up in a bigger deal? That might be something that you look to do. I would like a left-handed hitting outfielder and I know that, you know, there's some, there was some thought about his vaccination status. That's no longer a question mark. Brandon Nimmo, he's no, not necessarily a spring chicken. I think he's the same age as George Springer was, maybe a year younger um, when he hit free agency. And he's going to be 30, but he's a good defensive option. Lefty, power a bit, on base, contact skills would be good. And you move Springer to right field where I think he can be effective. I don't think it's a disaster if George Springer comes back and plays center field next year. He was good this year, I, I thought, by and large. But maybe in terms of, just self-preservation, more of him in right field would be good. Not necessarily that's permanent. He could still play some center field. Nimmo could slide over. And then you, maybe you have one of Teoscar or Lourdes in left field. But um, I think they'll look to have discussions about one of those two guys. I just really do wonder if you can really expect all that much in a trade considering their contractual status and how close they are to free agency. Yeah, I think that would be the toughest part. Like, do you want to trade see Oscar and be forced to add a sweetener in order to bring something back? Like, I don't think you do, right? Like, uh, I think if you're wanting to move these guys, you're wanting to get something of equal value back or a couple of pieces that you can slot in there. Um, so, yeah, it is it is tough for sure uh, with both of these guys in the final year of their deal. It's not going to be easy to to find partners out there to, you know, try to make a deal. But, uh, you know, it's not the, very much like the bullpen. It's not the worst thing ever if both of these guys come back and the Blue Jays essentially, you know, have the same offense again. They were one of the best offenses all of major league baseball this year um but i just think you know consistency wise and just for the way i would like to see this lineup optimized 
got to have a little bit more like Brandon Nimmo. I've, I keep banging the drum for that guy. Like he would just fit so perfectly on this team. You know, a guy that can bat near the top of the lineup gets on base, can draw a walk. Like the, the Jays don't have enough guys that can draw walks. And I think, you know, when they are really going through it and they have stretches where they, their offense is playing poorly. Like that's, that's really a big bugaboo of mine where, you know, they just don't have anyone that is willing to, you know, draw a base on balls in order to keep the chain moving. It just feels like when they're not putting the ball in play and, you know, putting it into the outfield or over the fence, like it's, it's tough, but you know, the numbers, still say at the end of the day they are one of the better performing offenses in baseball so I think you know it's really just what kind of baseball do you like you know are you someone that is cool with the way the Jays currently play where you know there's a lot of slug uh, there's not a ton of uh, base on balls but you know they still get the job done at the end of the day or do you like the grinded out you know, uh, New York Yankees, Boston Red Sox style from a few years ago, where it's just like we go up there and we take eight pitches per bat and uh, we just grind the shit out of you and we get on base and we still hit our bombs. Like there's a lot of different ways to, to go about it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting question uh, with regards to this offense and how uh, the Blue Jays want to construct it heading into next season. Yeah, I, I think that there's a happy medium where you want some of the both of that when the Jays are at their best. There is an element of that where they're not swinging at everything and they're not chasing. They work some deeper cans and then they force a pitcher to throw one in their happy zone and they do damage with it. And, you know, that's that's the ideal configuration and the ideal setup. And yeah, you know, like it's a little bit too feast or famine, I think, is is the valid criticism of this lineup is that when it's great, it's great when it isn't you know it can be really not pretty and can really struggle and you know I don't know how much of that you know lends itself to the postseason or not sometimes you just get hot or you go cold at a particular time and you're out in two games or you're able to go on a run to the world series unexpectedly because you get hot but I I still do think that this is a team that's too right hand dominant and I would like a little bit more balance we've been saying that for how long now? I know that they hit better against right-handed pitching this year than they did against left-handed pitching. I still just think that the teams that have the most balance generally have a lot of success. You think the Braves last year, um, you know, Rosario and Freeman and the Astros now have Alvarez and Tucker who really are preeminent left-handed bats in major league baseball you need it you need that balance in in the postseason makes you harder to strategize against bullpen deployment is trickier because you know you have guys who bat right-handed you have guys who bat left-handed it's just a pick your poison situation and i do think that the jays need to figure out a way to get more of that in their lineup because uh in big games against good teams there might still be an element if you execute your game plan that the Jays are still easy in some way to pitch to. Okay, let's get to some listener questions. Got a few for this uh, final regular season podcast to wrap up the year. Raps says uh, one of the things that he would like to see are a few things. Bullpen additions, of course, middle of the order, lefty bat, a starter, same as the deadline. I think that was a lot of the same sentiment from people that hit us up on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. Lisa says, same as the deadline, the bullpen, shore up the starting rotation, assuming Ross Stripling is gone. Jury is still out on Ryu and uh, Kikuchi is starter. Uh, the, the experiment is over. 
I don't think it's over. I think they're going to no, give him not. another shot. Uh, we're going to yeah. see him come back in spring training. And look, just just quickly, I mean, he obviously had some moments down the stretch in low leverage situations. I understand, but he struck out a shit ton of people. Um, you know, fastball slider was working for him. He sort of ditched the, you know, split finger changeup thing uh, for the most part down the stretch. But I just hope he got his confidence back a little bit. I mean, maybe it'll never be there because he's a guy that uh, never seemed to really have that confidence aside from a few weeks uh, in May when uh, he was pitching at his best. But uh, you just hope, you know, because of this experience that he had of the bullpen, it just kind of reaffirm that, hey, I can actually get people out at the major league level because I throw 95 miles an hour and I have a pretty darn uh, good slider that he was throwing a lot harder. You know, maybe he can't. Uh, obviously sustain that as a starter trying to throw, you know, all out a hundred percent. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't intrigued by what I saw at the end of the season and what it may mean heading into next year. Yeah. I like, I, I think this is to me the most fascinating off season um, of this era of blue Jays baseball, because you know it's been it's been all kind of roses and everything's been great the last couple of years they've been progressively spending more money and making these splashes and re-signing guys that they traded for which this franchise hadn't really done a ton of and you know now they're at a point where short of really expanding the payroll because i think you know ed heading into with arbitration projections they're at like 170 a high 170s uh, right now in terms of the projected commitments and like what's their payroll going to be next year because to me if it's less than 200 million you know how aggressive are you going to be in the offseason maybe you shuffle out some deck chairs here and there and you you fortify the roster you take out a Teoscar making 10 to 15 million or whatever he's projected to make an arbitration and you replace that with somebody else but i just wonder you know how much flexibility there is to continue adding salary commitments and and increasing the payroll because you're you're going to have to spend to keep up with the likes of, like the Yankees no, say what you will about them. They skirt the luxury tax and they're, they're a cheap rich team in some ways. They might not re-sign Aaron judge for that ex- exact reason, but they're still going to run a high payroll. The Red Sox are going to run a high payroll. I think the Orioles are going to spend more money. They're going to be competitive. If you want to continue to try and separate yourself from the pack or, or be uh, a really great team in a really tough division, you're going to have to spend some money to do so. And I just wonder, you know, how much did this season change the equation at all for the better or for the worse in that perspective and you know how much freedom does ross atkins have to you know potentially sign another nine-figure contract i'm not expecting it but maybe i'll be pleasantly surprised and they will have another 80 to 100 or so million dollar type deal that could be in the cards this offseason yeah it would have been nice if there were a few more home games in the playoffs i think that would have supplemented things uh considering you're just about to you know completely remodel the outfield that's not going to come cheap of course and uh it's going to be pretty cool to watch how that unfolds this offseason i'm sure we'll get some you know sneak peeks along the way of uh, the new stadium look for next year but uh, with regards to the team payroll yeah it's going to be just really interesting you know where they go I wouldn't be surprised if they you know stayed kind of stagnant and they didn't spend big but I would be like you said pleasantly surprised if they just said you know what fuck it like let's go like we're already here um, you know no turning back now we want to make this a mm-hmm. uh, winner we want to make this a championship team we got to spend. That's just how it works. Uh, unless you want to get really crafty and really, 
creative. Uh, this is the way to go about it. Uh, finally, Ross uh, chimes in at DFA, under, DFA underscore pod says, who is not on this team next year? We already kind of talked about Teoscar Hernandez as one of the guys, Lourdes Goriel Jr. But I wonder about the catchers who we haven't talked a ton about. A lot of depth there, maybe the most depth in Major League Baseball at that position with Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, and uh, Gabriel Moreno, who uh, we saw make his Major League debut this year and definitely had some moments. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some uh, utility, super utility there for a guy like him moving forward. But what's your guess? Because I I think, you know, if it were up to me, I'd probably keep all three guys um, mm-hmm. just because they provide so much value. And if one of them goes down, to be able to have a major league catcher just slot in and uh, replace one of the guys you already had is, is a big boost. Um, but I can also understand it from the other end that, you know, if you want to make a big splash, you want to make a big addition, Moreno and Kirk are obviously going to be able to get you that chance and not so much. But I think Danny showed this year that he could probably be a starter. Uh, for a lot of teams. And, you know, I think one team that a lot of people have pointed out recently is the St. Louis Cardinals, Um, obviously with uh, Yanni Molina there uh, hanging it up. But, uh, you know, that could be an option. Uh, What do you think about the catchers? And and are you you thinking that uh, next year there's not going to be three, there's going to be one less guy behind the plate? I I do think that there is going to be one less guy. I I just think that you know, I'm not saying that you're just you're trading one at all costs. The deal has to make sense. Got to improve your club in an area that you need it to. But I just think that, you know, Danny Jansen's only two years away from free agency. If you're going to move him, then now is probably the time coming off of his best season. Still two years of club control. You know, maybe teams don't value him the same way that uh that the season he just had would uh would indicate and then maybe you look at moving a moreno or or kirk maybe they're thinking to themselves you know let's sell kirk now at at the height of his value how's his body type going to age is he going to be able to withstand the the rigors of catching that many games you know i think there's a an, an argument a case to be made for training any one of the three depending on what the package in return uh, next you, but I do think that one of these three guys, I'd probably put it Jansen one, Kirk two, Moreno three. I, I just think that, um, Danny Jansen's realistically the guy that I think is most likely to go, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if at least to start the year, um, all three are back. And that would just be an indicator that they're con they're, they're confident in all three. They're comfortable carrying them at least to to start the year. And it would probably mean that they just didn't get what they were looking for. And you don't need a, this isn't, you know, square peg into a round hole situation. You don't need to just trade a catcher to trade a catcher just because you have a surplus of them. Like that's not good business. The only way you should be trading one of these guys is if it nets you a legitimate return. And I would think that that's the blue Jays MO. That's their mindset on this is they're only going to make a deal. Um, if it really brings in somebody that works, like maybe you could tailor a deal with the Cardinals around, uh, Lars Newtbar, another one of their Nolan Gorman, you know, one of their major league ready, younger left-handed hitting type of players that could come in here and give you something in terms of an impact. Yeah, Nolan Gorman would be great. Uh, yes, I think was. that would be phenomenal if the Blue Jays could pull something off like that. Uh, I know people have thrown Dylan Carlson out there. Uh, yeah. Pass, hard pass. Like, uh, he's fine. Like, he's a major league player, but 
Um, he's a switch hitter too, but he's better from the right side. So he's kind of yeah. useless as a lefty. Uh, and Lars Newbar, just from the name value itself, like that guy is uh, would be a fan favorite, like pretty clearly uh, if he was to become a uh, Toronto Blue Jay. But uh, it's going to be a fun offseason to see where things go with this team. A lot of questions. Hopefully we were, we were able to answer uh, some of them today, but uh, a lot of intrigue over the next uh, three to four months as we get ready for spring training, which will be here before you know it. want to thank everybody for uh, supporting the pod this year and for tuning in. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod, at Rob Wong 34 and at JGoldberg12. For Josh, I'm Rob. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Designated for Assignment podcast.